Um, it's really good to have you with us this morning uh, for our, our online service. Uh, I think I speak for all of us when I say we really, really want to know what the chickens are called um, in EJ and, and Steve's house. Uh, so we'll have to maybe try and find that out this week. Um, but huge thanks to, to EJ uh, for sharing that really fresh story about how God's been working in our life just recently. Um, it was also one of those lovely little um, things this morning where neither Johnny, who prayed for us at the beginning, and EJ, who shared uh, that, that changed life story, neither of them knew what the other one was sharing, but there was a, very much a common theme about gratitude and about thankfulness. Uh, so there seems to be something there that maybe um, God is wanting to underline for us and teach us uh, this morning. So thank you to everybody uh, who's been involved this morning. Thank you to Paul and Luke, who are on the sound desk, who you can't see, and to Sarah and Timmy uh, for leading us in worship. Uh, let me pray for us as we come to God's word this morning. Um, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you uh, for this opportunity and this moment uh, to gather as your people around your word. And we want to pray very much that the same spirit who inspired these words to be written down would now come and be our helper and teacher as we read. Father, we want to pray you would give understanding to our minds and correct our thinking if it's faulty. But Father, even more than that, we want to pray that you would change our hearts and shape our lives so that more and more every day our lives will reflect the character of Jesus. Um, so Father, we pray, would you come and teach us? Would you come and shape us by your word and by your spirit? And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, let's jump right in. We're going to read um, maybe, I don't know, it's probably tough competition, but maybe the, the most challenging words in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, as Jesus talks about how we treat our enemies and those who wrong us. So let's read from Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Again, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wonder how those words strike you as we, as we read them this morning. 
Um, let's, let's maybe start here. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Uh, maybe that can sound kind of brutal at first, um, and maybe even more so if we look at the longer uh, verse that it comes from in the book of Exodus chapter 21, where it says, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That sounds like a pretty brutal world to live in. Um, actually, if we go back and try and understand in context the, that command from the Old Testament, um, I think we can understand it was actually intended to place a limit on revenge. Because sometimes in the ancient world, retaliation and revenge could get out of hand. They could escalate very quickly. So you break my arm and I break both of yours. You kill my brother and I kill your entire family. You kill my family and I burn down your entire village. And so revenge could escalate. And so the Old Testament law placed strict limits on consequences and said no more than an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. God helps us maybe understand a wee bit where that law came from. But I wonder what about today? Although we probably think we live in a less brutal world than that, um, I want to suggest right at the beginning maybe this is still essentially the way the world works. People who do wrong should get what they deserve, no more and no less. Um, and for most people in our world today, for our world at its best very often, that is absolutely fair and right and just, and most reasonable people would agree. Um, people get what they deserve. And so it comes as a bit of a shock to us when we hear the words of Jesus. Jesus has come to show, show us a very different way, even to our world at its best. Um, Jesus asks us um, not only not to retaliate, but he actually suggests that we show kindness and generosity to the one who has injured us and wronged us. And I've put just a few of his phrases up there. Do not resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. Hand over your coat. Go the extra mile. Give to anyone who asks. Love your enemies. Um, and maybe right away we should say this is the point in Jesus' teaching where actually many people start to get very uncomfortable um, and start to squirm. Um, maybe for one thing we might say this seems very impractical, maybe even impossible. Surely you can't actually live this way in the real world. But maybe actually, if we're being honest, some of us might go further and say, actually, this seems like a dangerous way to live. Surely if all of us lived this way, evil would just run rampant in our world with nobody to stand in the way. Maybe we remember that very famous quotation from Edmund Burke, who said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And so maybe it's not only that we think this teaching is difficult, but actually we're not even sure it's a good thing for people to live this way. It may be dangerous. And I guess I want to say this, that it's good for us to be honest about these reactions. I wonder if some of those reactions are in you. I know some of them are in me. But I want to suggest that we need to be careful about um, where we go with, with those kind of thoughts. Um, one of the things I've noticed in myself, when I read some of Jesus' teaching, which is really, really challenging, 
is that there are some typical responses that can arise in me. And you could, you could sum them up maybe in three E's. Um, that whenever I, I come on something in the teaching of Jesus that is really difficult and uncomfortable, first of all, I start to explain away his words and explain how Jesus didn't really mean what he seems to mean. And then I start to excuse myself from needing to actually take it seriously and put it into action in my life. And I also tend to focus on exceptions. In other words, when are the times when this doesn't apply? And we list lots and lots of exceptions. Um, and I want to encourage you maybe as you read the Sermon on the Mount to watch out for times when these are our gut reactions. We start to explain it away. We start to excuse ourselves. We start to talk about what are the exceptions. And soon there can be very little left of the words of Jesus. We don't actually make any serious attempt to obey his words. And so there are some really tricky questions to consider about how we apply this teaching, and we'll, we'll come to those in a little bit. But I want to start with the simple assumption that when Jesus said these things, he meant what he said, and he said what he meant, and that he really seriously actually intends his followers to live like this in the real world. That's kind of my starting premise uh, to get us, get us started. Um, I find myself uh, reaching this week as I thought about these things for a couple of books by two of my um, heroes in, in Christian history. Um, they, they made, well, one of them is well known, the other one not so much. Um, a man called Helmut Thielicke and a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And both of them, uh, as well as sporting uh, very nifty glasses, uh, both of them were German pastors under the Nazi regime in the 1930s and 1940s. Both of them were part of what is often called the Confessing Church, which remained faithful to Jesus and the gospel at huge risk and cost and kind of stood up, stood up to the Nazis in that period. Um, Thielica was often preaching with SS officers standing at the back of the church, uh, always in danger of arrest and, and imprisonment. Um, Bonhoeffer famously was eventually arrested and spent quite some time in prison and was executed just before the end of the war. And I guess the reason I found myself reaching for their thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount was as I thought about these difficult words of Jesus, I thought if anyone has the right to speak authoritatively about these things, it's someone who lived through that kind of evil in their world. Um, and maybe you might expect people living through that kind of evil to say this teaching is unlivable, it's unrealistic, it's naive in the real world. And yet when I read what both these men wrote about this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, what I found immediately was they took these words of Jesus really seriously as words we are meant to obey with some kind of simplicity as disciples of Jesus. And I found that really challenging and really humbling as I, as I read it. And I may quote both of them as we go uh, this morning. Um, as I read their, their words, I was struck by this, that I think both Bonhoeffer and Thielicke understood something vital which is that this teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount about how we treat our enemies, how we treat those who wrong us, points us towards the cross. Think about the story of the cross when armed soldiers came to arrest Jesus. And you can read this in Matthew 26. He didn't resist them 
and he told Peter to put away his sword. And then when they spat on him and struck him on the cheek and beat him and mocked him, he didn't retaliate either with violence or with angry words. And when they made all kinds of false accusations against him, and you can read this in Matthew 27, it says he gave no answer. And when they took him and they nailed him to the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So these are words that Jesus doesn't just ask his followers uh, to obey. These are words that he lived himself. And, and of course, you and I know this lies at the very center of our faith. But the Jesus who went to his death in this way also said, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You can read that in Matthew 16. Um, Bonhoeffer famously said, the cross is laid on every Christian. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Right? That's what, it, that's what discipleship involves. Um, and I guess I was struck as I reflected on, on these things that this is a part of New Testament teaching that I don't like very much, that I think often we don't like very much. We, we prefer to focus on the theme of Jesus suffering instead of us. Jesus suffers for us. He suffers in our place. And of course, that, that is at the very heart of the gospel. And we love to talk about that theme. But the New Testament also speaks again and again and again about this kind of really strange language that talks about sharing in the fellowship of his suffering um, and that kind of language. We're called to follow the crucified Messiah by walking in the way of the cross, by taking up our cross and following so that the cross becomes the pattern for our walking, for our living. Um, maybe if I can maybe put the challenge quite directly. Um, I find whenever, whenever a group of Christians discuss this bit of teaching about turning the other cheek, you can almost set a timer for about, I would say, about two minutes, that within the first couple of minutes, somebody will say, I don't think this means we're meant to let people trample all over us. And I want to ask you um, to pause on that thought and look to the cross, to the one who allowed himself to be trampled on and to be beaten and spat upon and mocked and pierced and killed for us and for our salvation and who calls us to take up our cross and follow. And I want to say very directly, brothers and sisters, sometimes following Jesus is going to mean we're called to allow ourselves to be trampled upon. It's part of walking in the way of the cross. Maybe we've lots of questions about this. We want to ask, why on earth would Jesus ask us to live this way? Um, and again, I think looking at the cross really helps us. Let's look again to the cross. The cross, um, I think you can, you can kind of say, has two faces. From one side, we see Jesus being trampled. And it looks for all the world like evil has triumphed, the darkness has won. It looks like the place of weakness and defeat and humiliation, right? That's, that's how it looks from one side. 
but from the other side of the resurrection. We also see that the same cross, the same place, where Jesus is, is also the place where Jesus defeats the powers of evil, where he trampled on death and sin and the devil. From one side, it's the place where he's trampled upon. From the other side, it's the place where he tramples on the powers of evil. And it's the place of decisive victory. And so I think that helps us when we think about our discipleship. When we are called to walk in the way of the cross by turning the other cheek, by going the extra mile, by blessing those who curse us, it's not about ignoring evil or letting evil win. But actually, if we are people who, uh, who have the gospel in our blood, who have the gospel in our hearts and in our imagination, we understand this is how evil is defeated. Um, and we see it most clearly in the cross. Um, there's something here that I think our world can never understand. Um, the, the best way that our world can find to deal with evil is the way of justice. Um, our, the best way that our world can deal with evil is by, to restrain it by force, to use the rule of law, to use the police and the courts and the prisons and so on. And it's important to say that can be a good thing uh, and an important thing in society. The Bible talks about how God has instituted governments to restrain evil, to stop, stop evil from running amok in our world. And sometimes Christians will play a part in those institutions as police officers and uh, lawyers and judges and, and all the rest. Um, so that, that is important and is, has its place. Um, the, the best thing that our world can think of in responding to evil is justice. Make sure people get what they deserve. Make sure they get their rights. Um, make sure people get what they deserve. And justice is a good thing. Um, justice can even be a great thing. The Bible calls us often to seek justice. But it's really important for us as Christians to say this, that justice is not the best thing. There is something higher and deeper and more beautiful than mere justice. Something more powerful to bring change to the human heart and not just to restrain evil, but actually to overcome it and break its power. And that something else is what we call mercy. What do you and I find at the cross? Um, it's not just justice. If God gives us justice, then we're all in deep trouble. We stand condemned. We stand convicted. But on the cross, Jesus takes the justice of God upon himself and offers us what? Offers us undeserved mercy, forgiveness, kindness, love. Um, and so the book of James kind of trumpets this and says, mercy triumphs over judgment. The psalmist, long before the time of Jesus, um, saw this in advance and said, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. We don't get justice. Jesus takes that on himself and instead we get mercy. And so mercy is found at the cross, which is why we want to point everyone we meet to the cross, our friends and our neighbours and even our enemies. We want to point everybody to the cross and we want to talk about the cross um, all we can. But maybe what we're thinking about this morning is this, is that the mercy 
that's at the heart of the message of the cross can also be seen and made visible in our actions whenever we, as we respond to those who treat us badly. We bear witness to the message of the cross in the way we respond to people when they hurt us and insult us and treat us unfairly. If, if we respond in those moments with mere justice, the world will be unsurprised if we give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The world understands that logic, understands those rules. But if we respond with undeserved mercy, unexpected kindness, then the world is going to be kind of stopped in its tracks. It's going to be amazed. It's going to be puzzled. It's going to be intrigued. It's going to be thrown off guard by something puzzling that it doesn't understand. Jesus' words make clear when we show mercy, we actually reflect the heart and character of God who makes the sun shine on both the, the evil and the good. We, we show the character of God and we tell the story of the gospel in our actions. And I, I think for that reason, whenever we show kindness to an enemy, when we show mercy to someone who has wronged us, it creates a little moment of possibility when that person's heart may open a little bit to the mercy of God. It opens, if you, can, if you like, a little window so the light of Calvary can shine into that little moment in our lives. Um, let me give maybe a couple of examples, a couple of stories that maybe show this. Um, when Martin Luther King um, famously took, took these words of Jesus very seriously and taught his followers in the civil rights movement to take them really seriously. When they marched across a bridge in Selma and they were attacked by police with truncheons and when instead of fighting back, which is what everybody expects, they knelt on the ground with their hands on their heads and even knelt and prayed as the blows came in. Something happened in that moment. Some of those police officers were sickened by their own behaviour. They saw the ugliness of their own actions. And many of those watching on TV at home were appalled by what they saw. And something shifted in their hearts. Something broke through, through that unexpected response. And Bonhoeffer says in one place that when, when evil doesn't meet the resistance that it expects, um, it, it, it actually pulls out its sting. It, it loses it loses its balance and is thrown off guard um, and something shifts, something changes. Um, here's another example. Um, one of the most popular stories in our culture um, is Les Miserables. Um, I think at this point it's been a book and a film and a musical and a film of a musical and I don't know what else for all I know, a puppet show and um, I don't know, I don't know what all. Um, wh why is that story so popular? I think because it speaks of things at the very heart of the human story and the human drama. Um, and it, uh, I think one of the key moments in the story, Jean Valjean um, has been released from prison uh, where he, he'd been imprisoned for stealing. Um, he's on a path which may not lead anywhere good where he's in danger of being hardened um, and wearing that identity as an outlaw and a criminal. Um, but the, the turning point in his story comes when he stays in the home of a bishop who welcomes him with kindness. Um, Jean Valjean responds to the kindness by getting up in the middle of the night to steal his silver. 
and, but he's caught and he's presented to the bishop. And everybody is looking at the bishop to see how will he respond. If he hands Jean Valjean over to the courts, everyone will think that was the right thing to do. He did what was right, what was fair, what was just, what was reasonable, what was sensible, right? That's, the world is expecting justice at that moment. But this bishop sees an opportunity to bear witness to the mercy of God. He chooses a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees. He chooses the way of mercy. And he says to Jean Valjean, I am very cross with you. Why did you only take the silver and not also take the candlesticks that I told you to take? And he, he kind of takes this tremendous risk that this act of undeserved kindness can change this man's heart in a way that mere justice never can. And if you know the story, you know it does change the course of his life and becomes the turning point that sets his life on another path. Um, maybe we need a, a more down-to-earth example. Let me, let me give a very down-to-earth example. Um, I, you and I could go now and uh, open up a computer and we could go and visit uh, the world of YouTube together, uh, one of the weird little corners of our, our culture today. And I could show you a video posted by internet atheists of their, fa their favorite famous atheist, whether it's Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris. Um, and the, the title underneath the video will say, watch Richard Dawkins destroying these idiotic Christians. And if you go down to the comments down below, we'll find Dawkins fans speaking in the same way about the idiocy of Christians and how foolish they are and calling them every name under the sun and arrogantly sneering at those who could possibly believe such things. And then you and I could take a couple of clicks away over to another video posted by internet Christians uh, of their favorite Christian apologist debating against atheists. And we could find that the title under the video and the comments down below are pretty much a mirror image of the ones we saw a minute ago. Watch this Christian apologist destroy these idiotic atheists and the same sneering and the same arrogance and the same name calling. That is exactly an example of eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's exactly what the world expects. Insult for insult, name calling for name calling, sneering for sneering. And if you spend a bit of time in, in those kind of corners of, our, of the internet, you realize nobody's mind is being changed and certainly nobody's heart is being changed. And I find myself asking in that kind of world, and we're not just talking about YouTube, but every corner of social media and every corner of the real world as we interact with real people, with faces and voices and lives and all the rest. Um, in that kind of world of eye for eye and tooth for tooth and gossip for gossip and arrogance for arrogance and name calling for name calling, what kind of impact does it have if someone responds differently? If someone responds with unexpected mercy and doesn't give people what they deserve, but returns kindness for meanness and blessings for curses? I think it's a little moment of gospel miracle and it stops people in their tracks and it shakes people up and it wakes people up and it throws them off guard. And it's a little moment where a little bit of the light of Calvary shines into the, those ordinary interactions 
uh, in our world. Um, you and I often wrestle with how are Christians meant to be different in the world. And sometimes we focus on all kinds of trivial things that don't really matter, but this really matters. This is how we bear witness to the message of the cross in the midst of our world. So, um, hopefully uh, we've made clear this morning that Jesus really meant these things, that we're meant to take these words and really take them seriously in our lives. Um, but I do want, before we finish, um, to acknowledge that there are complicated questions that may arise in our minds um, as we try to put this into practice. Um, let, let me mention just a couple of them. If someone is in a situation of um, really bad abuse and bullying that is ongoing in their life, should we not sometimes make sure that person gets out of harm's way rather than continuing to turn the other cheek and stay where they can continue to be harmed? And I think the answer is yes, of course, there are times when someone needs to be removed from harm's way. Or maybe another question, are there not times when we need to report someone to the authorities because otherwise they're going to continue to cause harm to others and we're actually we have a responsibility to protect people from harm by handing someone over. And I think, yes, of course, there are times when that's what we need to do. Um, and I think th those two examples, and there are many others, show us why we shouldn't take the words of Jesus simply as a new law to lead to a new legalism. If you apply the words of Jesus in that way, you'll actually cause a lot of harm. But Jesus' words are all about changing our hearts, giving us a new heart, giving us a new character. He is describing the kingdom heart. He's describing a gospel heart, a heart that has been transformed by the gospel and by God's love. And Jesus is describing, I think, the ways in which you and I, when our hearts have been changed by the gospel, the ways in which we will normally and instinctively and habitually react whenever other people wrong us. These are to be the characteristic ways that we behave when our hearts have been filled with the love of God in Christ. And then when our hearts have been changed in that characteristic way, there will be situations where we need wisdom to apply the, the teaching of Jesus to the complicated circumstances of life. We'll need the Holy Spirit to guide us. Uh, and I think it's fair to say every commentator that I've read on these words of Jesus, acknowledges that there will be some circumstances where we need to not obey these words literally, um, but we, where we need to listen to the heart of what Jesus is saying. Um, and so, in those examples I gave, sometimes a person may need to be removed from harm. Sometimes the, the person doing harm needs to be removed to a place where they can't do that harm anymore. But even in those circumstances, we need Jesus to work in our hearts to make sure that we're not consumed by bitterness and anger and contempt, which can very easily happen, to make sure that we don't harden our hearts towards that other person, to make sure that we are able, even in that moment, to pray blessing on them and to desire their good. That's an incredibly difficult thing. It's one of the hardest things, I think, that Jesus asks us to do, to be able to bless those who have cursed us and caused us harm. It will require, in fact, a miracle of grace in order for that to happen. 
um, which is why I want to remind you of those words uh, I've reminded you of many weeks, that he is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. We're not to try to do this in our own strength. As we sang earlier, it's not I, but through Christ in me. He is going to make us people who can have this kind of heart towards our enemies. Um, Helmut Thielicke uh, says, the heart of this teaching about loving our enemies is that we see both ourselves and our enemy in the shadow of the cross. This is what he says. He says, our Lord shows us this other person as he stands beneath the cross. You're thinking about the person who has wronged you, harmed you, insulted you, uh, done you wrong. Our Lord shows us this other person as he stands beneath the cross. And seeing him there, we know that what ultimately counts is not my assertion of my personal rights. What matters is that this person's heart will be changed as my heart has been changed by encountering God's love in Christ. The ultimate goal of our action towards others is the reconciliation of the other person who has been dearly purchased for whom Jesus poured out his blood. I find that tremendously challenging. The goal is to see the other person as Jesus sees them ultimately and then to act from that place as we see them in light of the cross. Um, let me finish with this. Uh, one very simple uh, story to finish. Um, one of the commands in what we read this morning that we didn't focus on, um, Jesus says we should give to anyone who asks us. Uh, and it reminded me um, of a memory. Um, I found myself remembering my friend Glenn, um, who died very suddenly last year. And I remembered a particular moment when some of us, a group of friends, were walking in Belfast to a restaurant for dinner. And we passed a homeless man with a paper cup. And my friend Glenn quietly left the group and went and dropped a few coins in the cup and then came back and joined us. And later when we were eating dinner, um, someone in the group asked Glenn a question. Um, and it's kind of a common question, said, do you not worry when you give money in that situation, that they'll spend it on drink or they'll waste it in some way or you'll actually perpetuate the problem by doing that. And they were asking because Glenn, Glenn was one of the smartest Christians I've known and he was involved in projects in East Belfast Mission where they were helping people out of poverty and out of unemployment and bringing life to the city. Um, he wasn't a naive Christian who thought that a couple of coins were going to fix the problem. And so the friend asked him, why did you do that? Uh, and I've never forgotten his answer, because Glenn's answer was very simple. He said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and Jesus told me to give to anyone who asks me. And, and for me, it's a little reminder of maybe a good place for us to finish, that sometimes a simple act of obedience to Jesus will take us much further than all of our theologizing and pontificating. Um, Sometimes if we want to understand all the words of Jesus, we'll never get round to putting any of it into action. And actually, if we can begin with simple obedience um, of the kind that Glenn demonstrated, then understanding will follow as we walk in the way of Jesus. Um, so let me, let me pray for us as we finish, and then we're going we're gonna to sing again uh, just to end our service. So let, let's pray together. Father, we, we confess 
This is challenging teaching from Jesus. Um, this is not the way our world normally thinks. And it's not the way we normally instinctively respond. And so we need your help. Uh, would you help us? Uh, would you help us to work out how to put these things into action in our lives? Would you show us even in the week ahead some simple ways that we can start to obey the teaching of Jesus in this area? We confess that we can't do it by ourselves. We confess that we need the power of your spirit. We need the power of the cross of Jesus to be at work in our lives in order for us to respond with mercy even to those who wrong us. Would you make our hearts more like yours? Would you make our lives, lives that tell the story of the gospel and the story of the cross? Father, I want to pray for little miracles of gospel grace in our lives that would stop people in their tracks, that would make people puzzle over this strange reaction. Um, Father, help us with the difficult questions we have in our minds about how to apply this teaching. But help us not to put off starting to obey, starting to put these things into action. And we pray you would help us by your spirit to do that this week. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.